riverreporter.com, and from listener donations at wjffradio.org. Welcome to the local edition news and information to keep you connected in the Catskills, Northeast Pennsylvania. Coming up on the program tonight, it's our weekly news roundup with the Sullivan County Democrat. Patricio Rabio will be speaking with Joseph Abraham, managing editor of the Sullivan County Democrat, getting the latest news. But first, this is how we start off our Monday evenings on the local edition. We check in with Sullivan County to get the latest on what's happening in Sullivan County. And joining me on the phone is somebody that uh, I said when we had an update on one of these pieces of news, we'd have them back on. Well, we've had an update. We've gotten them back on. It's Dan Hoost, Communications Director for Sullivan County Government. Dan, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Jason. Appreciate it. So it was just a couple weeks ago you were on. We were talking about you know the news that the warming center in, in Liberty in Sullivan County that was open last year when nights got to a certain temperature which you know we'd have to announce it and we have to look at the temperature and you'd have to set up the space and all that we learned that it's going to be open every night all through the winter and we were expecting that the same would be true of the monticello uh warming center and we said we'd have you back on when we got that word and on friday we got that word right we are there yes the uh, Ted Strobel Center in Monticello is now open and operating, thankfully through our partners, the Federation for the Homeless, who have staffed it with volunteers. It's open from 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. every night, seven days a week, through to the end of the winter season, whenever that turns out to be. And and that's the same deal for the Warming Center in Liberty, which is at the United Methodist Church uh, on Main Street, right? Yep, 170 North Main Street in Liberty. That's through the New Beginnings Community Worship Center and the Methodist Church itself. I believe the Worship Center actually meets in the Methodist Church, so it's very easy for them to uh, have volunteers to staff that facility. So we have two locations in the county for people who are looking for warmth, for shelter, for a bed to sleep on, and in some cases uh, there is food available as well. Well, you know, we, it, you know, it's important to get the word out to this to folks, but it's important for people to realize that, you know, you might be, you might be safe and warm where you are now, but circumstances can change quickly and unexpectedly. So it's a good thing to keep in mind, both for you and, and your family, but also your, your friends and neighbors. Sometimes storms come through, people lose power, things happen. Yeah. And, Listen, we are prepared to welcome a, a good-sized crowd if we have to at these locations. Hopefully that won't become necessary. Typically, we have between just maybe one or two people any particular night, sometimes none at all, but we want it to be available. We have the funding now from the state to make it available seven nights a week because in past years we have been doing it just on those nights where the temperature was going to fall below a, th a certain threshold. But now we can do it all seven nights a week and and uh, I think that just gives people a sense of reassurance and confidence that if they're ever in need, there is a place to turn. Absolutely. Now, on to the next item, something else that we said we'd follow up on. You know, I talked to folks at the county level when we had a preliminary budget, and now the budget's no longer preliminary, right? It's official for 2023 for the county, correct? 
It is. It was adopted on Thursday by the legislature. It was a six to two vote. There are nine legislators. One of them was absent, Joe Perello. Uh, two of them voted against. That was Louis Alvarez and Nadia Reich, but then six voted in favor. Rob Doherty, Mike Brooks, George Conklin, Ira Steingart, Alan Sorensen, Nick Salamone. Um, they voted in favor of the budget uh, as it was basically proposed by the county manager. There were a few amendments made to it, as the legislature has the right to do, because as, as we say in, in the office I work in, the county manager's office, the tentative budget is the county manager's, but the adopted budget, the one we end up operating off of, is the legislature's budget, because they get the final say on that. It's $268 million and change, so it's higher than last year, but it does not come with a tax increase, which I'm very pleased to say, because I remember when I took this job as Director of Communications, my mother, the minute she, after she congratulated me, she said, and remember, Dan, I'm a taxpayer. <laughs> right. Oh, I'm, and I'm sure you've, you've heard that from that. other folks since <laughs> yeah. then, probably, right? Yes, yeah. and the fact that uh, my job is funded by the taxpayers, as is the, all the work that we do here, all the services, we always have to keep that in mind, that we're not just here to provide them services, but to provide that to them in the most cost-effective manner possible. And thanks to good economic conditions and prudent fiscal management, we are able to do that in 2023 without raising taxes, and in fact, actually decreasing everyone's tax bill by at least $45.50 and maybe be more than that because the solid waste access fee is being eliminated in the new year. Right. And as we clarified, we did have uh, County Manager Josh Potosik on a couple weeks ago to talk about this. He highlighted some of these items, and I, I clarified with him that it's not the fee that people pay when they go to the actual transfer facility. This is the, the fee that homeowners pay, the property owners uh, pay. That's what's being waived. Uh, for, and for commercial property owners, too, yes. Uh, and it's, it's what's actually listed on your tax bill. Right, right. And so then they'll see it, they'll, they'll see it not increasing on one end and they'll see that end of it actually decreasing too. So thank you for giving us the update on that. We told folks that we'd let them know when the budget actually became official. Now, finally, uh, we've talked a lot on there about Sullivan 180, the local health initiative. I'm old enough to remember Sullivan 2020, the old uh, planning initiative. But now I'm hearing rumbles about... Sullivan 250. What's the Sullivan 250? <laughs> yeah, we've got numbers bouncing around here. Well, that one is tied to the 250th anniversary of the American Revolutionary War. And I am pleased and proud to say that we've got probably our foremost uh, history lovers in the county, John and Deborah Conway, leading this effort. Uh, the legislature has created a new commission, the Sullivan 250 Commission, and the Conways are co-chairs of that to celebrate locally the 250th anniversary of not only the Revolutionary War, but the Declaration of Independence, which will be coming up uh, starting in 2026 and actually continuing through 2033, because that's how long the Revolutionary War lasted. Um, they are going to be planning with a number of other commission members, and that includes me, uh, an, a number of events and special commemorations that are going to be happening through that time, kicking off in 2026 um, through uh, our local parks as well, because we happen to have a Revolutionary War battle site in Sullivan County near Berryville called Minnesink Battleground Park. It is a county park. 
unfortunately, it was uh, a disaster for the uh, um, the Patriot side of the fight, but uh, it has become a very sacred site that there's uh, a commemoration of every single year. We have a monument there that dates back to the first hundred years of it. It was uh, erected in 1879, I believe, uh, because the original battle was in 1779. So it's quite a historic spot. The Delaware Company, which the Conways oversee, Deborah Conway is the executive director of it, uh, has uh, taken over operations of both Minnesink Battleground and uh, Fort Delaware through a contract with the county. So looking forward to continuing to work with them on this uh, anniversary date. I know John Conway has a particular affinity for that colonial revolutionary era history. It's why he calls, you know, his historical outfit and, and is the Delaware Company and all the work that they've done, especially this past year uh, at Fort Delaware. Those are the right folks for this. I think that's kind of the headline here is that, it, you know, John and Deborah Conway are, are the, the first uh, folks up for this committee. And I think the other headline here is that this committee uh, is going to be around for like 10 years as you said, because I started checking my dates. I said, well, wait, the Declaration of Independence was in 1776. So what's happening next year? It's like, well, it's the, it's that, it's that whole period of history is going to get uh, honored. Yes, it's going to be year after year that there's going to be commemorations. And every year it's going to be something different. I'm sure the Minnesink battle commemoration will continue as it does uh, every year. But there's going to be new, fun, educational events going on. And, and definitely in the hands of the Conways, you can be guaranteed that it's going to be interesting. It's going to be locally relevant as well, which is important. Right. And we'll have them on uh, probably sooner than later to give more details. And folks, we'll be following it right along as the committee progresses and things start ramping up. Before we go, the last thing uh, I want to mention is that the holiday concerts that take place right there in the Sullivan County Government Center kicked off last Thursday, correct, with Livingston Manor, and they're going to continue this week, right? Yes. Our next one is going to be tomorrow, Tuesday the 13th. Uh, and then it's just going to continue thereafter. We're going to have virtually every school district in the county represented through till the uh, 22nd of December, because we won't be open on the 23rd. Otherwise, I'm sure I would have had somebody coming to perform on the 23rd, but they're free and open to the public. I also live stream them on the county's Facebook page. Yeah. I encourage people to come out to watch or watch it online. Our young people are always impressive and particularly our musicians, those who sing, those who play instruments, uh, those who just uh, help come and, and set up and break down. I am just completely impressed by them. We had Livingston Manor kick us off on the 8th, and it was a large group. And these kids very willingly set up their own chairs and stands, broke them down without even having to be asked. The only thing they needed to know was where the chairs were. Uh, and then they went on to provide a show that you could tell they really worked hard on. And thankfully, there were a lot of people there to listen and give them the applause that they deserved because they really are talented. And it's just wonderful to see the next generation uh, coming to the government center to perform for the general public. 
That's right. I got to hear a little bit of that actually uh, the other day because uh, because you did post it in social media. Um, so yeah, continuing uh, tomorrow with the Fallsburg Elementary Chorus. Uh, big a, a big one is Monticello High School Band Orchestra Chorus and Emerging Ensembles that'll be uh, happening on on Wednesday the fourteenth, uh, starting at twelve thirty. Uh, continuing with Sullivan County Boses and also the Sullivan West Fourth to Sixth Grade Chorus. That's this week. All of these concerts happen between 11 a.m. And, and 1 p.m. for their start time. So they're all kind of in the middle of the day. They're all during the week so uh, that people can enjoy it while they're coming to the government center to do their business with the county. Yes, please come right in. Don't worry. We've had some people come up to the door and say, wait, a dement's going on. I shouldn't walk in. No, of course. Come walk in. Yeah. Just stop and listen for a little while and then go on to the office. And when you come back out of that office, stop and listen another while. Yeah, absolutely. Dan, is there anything else you want to let folks know? Just that we continue to be testing out our new Google chatbot, the Sullivan County Virtual Agent, which we partnered with Google on. And that is on our website. You can ask it questions or click on answers that you think it might have regarding the county clerk's office, which includes DMV and the county treasurer's office. I really encourage people to be using it because right now we are in the analyzing phase. We want to see how people use it, whether it's useful to them, because that will determine whether we expand this to include the rest of county government. So your participation is going to matter. There's a lot happening right here at the end of the year. So, Dan, I thank you for joining us for yet another update. Thank you so much. No problem, and happy holidays to everybody. You're listening to the local edition. Uh, We still have local news coming up. We have our local news roundup with the Sullivan County Democrat for our Monday But before that, let's get into some state news, do a quick checkup with a little bit of news at the state level. Animal welfare advocates are asking Governor Kathy Hochul to sign a bill that would ban the sale of puppies, kittens, and rabbits from so-called puppy mills, which opponents say use inhumane practices to breed pets for sale in pet stores. Karen DeWitt has more. The bill, which passed nearly unanimously in the state legislature, would end the sale of animals who are bred in the mills, their large-scale commercial breeding facilities that keep animals in substandard conditions while mass-producing them for sale. It's time for the governor to do the right thing and to sign this bill. Libby Post, the executive director of the New York State Animal Protection Federation, which represents animal shelters and rescue operations, says the female breeder dogs are housed in isolated cages and forced to produce several litters a year. She says the animals suffer physical and psychological damage. It's an inhumane situation and that New York is complicit in animal abuse for as long as we allow pet stores to sell animals from these mills. The bill also allows pet stores to rebrand as ethical purveyors of animals and instead offer pets from animal shelters or rescue organizations for adoption. Post says Americans spend $183 billion a year on their pets, with 98% of that on food and accessories. She says just 2% of sales involve live animals as pet owners have moved away from buying animals from the stores. Educated consumers are saying no to this, and New York 
should not be in the business of propping up a dying business model. The measure does not prevent someone from buying a specific breed of dog or cat or rabbit from a reputable breeder where the potential buyer can visit and see for themselves how the animals are treated. California and Maryland have enacted similar bans. In Illinois, after a ban was approved, a chain of pet stores closed, citing the new law as the reason. A national lobby group for pet store owners is urging retail shop owners in New York who sell puppies and kittens to persuade Hochul to veto the bill. A form letter provided by the Pet Advocacy Network says that the bill would limit some rights and legal protections for pet owners. It also says the pet stores only buy from reputable breeders and that their shop would likely have to close if the measure becomes law. Governor Hochul has until the end of the month to decide whether to sign or veto the measure. She's not said yet what she'll do. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. And thank you to Karen DeWitt and the New York State Public Radio Exchange for that report. We'll be right back. Going to take a break. When we return, we have the latest news from the Sullivan County Democrat. You're listening to The Local Edition, winner of two Excellence in Broadcasting Awards from the New York State Broadcasters Association. Radio Catskill. Listen local. Hey there, it's Tamara Keith from NPR. I thrive on deadlines. I don't think I'd get anything done without them. Just ask my editor. If you're the same way, I'm here to help you out with a little nudge to get something important done. I'm going to give you a deadline for donating to this station. You can knock it out in five minutes, I swear. Start a timer. Your deadline is now. Here's how to give. Make your tax-deductible year-end donation now at wjffradio.org. Welcome back to the local edition. I'm your co-host for this Monday evening, Patricio Rovio. We'll be talking to Joseph Abraham, the managing editor for the Sullivan County Democrat, in a little while. But before that, we'll check in again with Karen DeWitt. New York State lawmakers are considering holding a special session before the end of the year to vote on pay raise for themselves. As Karen DeWitt reports, many Democrats are in favor of the idea, while some Republicans say any special session should address the state's controversial bail reform law, too. Pay increases have always been a controversial subject for lawmakers to tackle. As a result, senators and assembly members who now earn a base salary of $110,000 a year have seen few raises in the past couple of decades. A pay commission in 2018 recommended that lawmakers' base pay, then $79,500 a year, be increased to $130,000 by 2021. But only the first phase, which brought their salaries to the current $110,000 in 2019, was carried out. The final two phases were struck down in court. Legislators are allowed to vote for salary increases, but it can't apply to the current office holders, only to future terms. So, senators and assembly members could vote by the end of 2022 to raise salaries beginning with the next term. That begins in January of 2023. Since the vast majority of the 213 lawmakers are incumbents who were re-elected, most would benefit from the decision. Assembly Speaker Carl Hasty says he's in favor of a salary increase. Personally, I, you know, I believe that legislators need to be, uh, you know, 
compensated for the hard work that they do. People don't realize that the, the sacrifice that they make being away from their families. It's a long-held Albany tradition, though, for lawmakers not to directly confirm that they are planning on voting on a pay raise. When asked if a special session is happening, Hasty hedged. This moment, there's no discussion about coming back at this moment. Other sources confirm that the idea of voting on a pay raise this month has been actively discussed. Lawmakers' current base pay is considered a healthy salary in upstate regions, but in New York City and its surrounding suburbs, the cost of living is considerably higher and the money does not go as far. New York City council members, for instance, earn closer to $150,000 a year. In the past, governors have often put up roadblocks to lawmakers seeking to vote for a pay raise or demanded something they wanted in return. This time, Governor Kathy Hochul, though, is not objecting to the idea. I believe they deserve a pay raise. They work extraordinarily hard. It's a year-round job. I've been with them many times in their districts, and you know, they work very hard, and they deserve it. In 1998, former Governor George Pataki agreed to a pay raise for lawmakers from $57,500 to $79,500. In exchange, he got a significant expansion of charter schools in the state. That deal also docked legislators' pay whenever the state budget was late, though they would receive their full pay back once the spending plan was finished. Former Governor Andrew Cuomo also objected to a salary increase for lawmakers. That disagreement led to the formation of the Pay Commission to make those decisions. Cuomo also sought to strictly limit lawmakers' outside income after several legislative leaders were convicted of crimes related to outside jobs that they held. But the court struck down that provision as well. Hochul says ultimately she's leaving the decision to senators and assembly members to make. It is up to them whether or not they want to come back and make that effective. Pay increases approved in the past have also extended to the governor and other statewide office holders. Republican legislative leaders who are in the minority party in both houses say there should not be a special session on pay raises unless lawmakers also address some recent controversial criminal justice laws, including the 2019 bail reform laws, which ended many forms of cash bail. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. Thank you so much, Karen DeWitt, for that story. And thank you so much for the public radio exchange. It's Monday, so that means we check in with the Sullivan County Democrat. On the phone with us now is Joseph Abraham, the managing editor. Joseph, welcome back to the program. Hey, it's always a pleasure. Dan and Jason were just talking about the county budget. You were there when it was passed in the legislative room. We can tell us about this latest budget that's passed, the budget for 2023. Yeah, so the legislature passed the budget by a 6-2 vote. Um, Nadia Reich and Louis Alvarez were the only two voted against it last week. Uh, Nadia said it should, shouldn't should have been a flat budget or, um, as far as you know, not increasing or decreasing taxes that much. Uh, she said, we don't know what the future will hold for our taxpayers and employees. We need to be properly prepared for 2023. Um, you know, this comes to, there had been some public comment from folks about, you know, hey, the legislature is bragging that the, uh, you know, tax rate is going down, uh, you know, minus 0.127%. Uh, but, you know, what services would you be adding otherwise or whatnot? So there was some of that discussion in the whole debate process. Uh, Louis Alvarez said that he felt the budget should be analyzed further and that, 
quote, uh, we're in the business of taking care of people, and that's what it should have been about. Uh, but before the budget vote happened, uh, there was a chance for the legislature to make last-minute amendments. Um, in Nadia's case, she had asked uh, the legislature, after all the folks had come out uh, with some concerns about the last election, for uh, giving the BOE at least $100,000 more for, quote, equipment that they need to operate efficiently. Uh, but the chairman, Rob Doherty, countered by saying that there weren't long lines in the 2021 or 2020 elections, which was a presidential year, 2020, in both cases, more ballots were cast than this current election. Um, he also pointed to the use of pre-printed ballots, which they did in the past. The BOE made the decision, according to Doherty this year, to use the individually printed ballots to cut down on waste and not add and also to decrease error in case, you know, someone got the wrong ballot. Uh, but, you know, Doherty had said pretty much that he didn't believe 100000 Dollars when pre-printed ballots were fine to put that money up would be a prudent financial move. And so that amendment ultimately failed because his peers pretty much agreed. Only Nadia and uh, Minority Leader Ira Steingart voted in favor of that amendment. While we'll get a little bit more into the DA um, and the chairman later, um, last year when they were having the whole discussion about salaries in her office, uh, which were raised, she had asked about cost of living adjustments uh, being also pop, uh, conversation about it because certain um, non-union employees receive annual adjustments uh, from time to time uh, through the county manager and uh, in the budget process. And so um, she had fought for that last year for them to commit to having the conversation. Uh, while there is a 2% increase is already built into some of the raises ADAs in her office got. Um, you know, she was saying that even with those increases, if you don't put in a cost of living adjustment, um, you know, in a couple of years, we're going to be, they're going to be in the same place all over again. So Alan Sorensen, the majority leader, had uh, introduced the amendment to uh, include the DA's office in those annual adjustments, um, like other departments have for their management and confidential staff. And that passed eight nothing. Uh, Joe Perillo wasn't present at uh, last week's meetings. And let's talk about the DA's office and the budget situation that happened last week because it got heated in that room. Let us know what happened and why it got heated and what's sort of the the end of it all. What was what was the outcome? There was another amendment was proposed that would have taken a investigator from the DA's office, which has been vacant for several months, and moved it over to the sheriff's office. Uh, Galligan uh, said it would have been ill-advised and said that the sheriff even opposed that type of um, moving of that position um, and said that uh, if they insisted on speaking specifically to Rob Doherty, undermining the district attorney's participation in a child advocacy center that they created, uh, that he wouldn't fill the position because the sheriff wasn't going to poach from the district attorney. Uh, she claims Galligan that she put in a fill vacancy form for the position in May 2021, but never got a response and, and claimed that this was gamesmanship at its finest. Uh, because there has been, I guess, some members of the legislature based on past discussions and that who are either upset with her or politically unhappy with her. And so she didn't believe her office should be, quote, casualty of some political warfare. Uh, Nadia Reich, legislator, asked, uh, you know, whose idea it was to shift the position from the DA's uh, office to the sheriff. And uh, the chairman had said that it was uh, him and Josh Potosik's. 
Um, but she questioned, uh, the Josh Gowden questioned that Josh was actually involved in the decision, citing that, you know, they had talked earlier that week and about the position and how she put in a request to fill and that he told her he was going to get right on it. So, you know, she, uh, they continued kind of go back and forth and then. Uh, the chairman of the legislature claimed that there are several reasons why the decision was made and um, brought up a situation where a, a child was murdered in Woodburn and uh, the Galligan refused to release the autopsy report to the county's uh, DFS legal team. Um, so, and, you know, he asked County, McGuire, uh, County Attorney Mike McGuire, like, did you have to bring the DA into court? Uh, and, you know, they all said yes, and she even admitted that, that was the truth. She said that, um, oh, first of all, he also claimed that um, uh, the the children of this county were being abused uh, and that Galligan was letting it happen. Um, and that, you know, by not getting the autopsy, that the children weren't removed from the household. Galligan said they were, in fact, removed and, uh, you know, didn't take that comment too lightly and said that um you know the reason she did it was because it was tactically and legally necessary to kind of segregate one of the individuals of the two people who were um brought in uh who had access and control at certain times over the victim from another to try to get the truth she said it was her professional opinion um and that you know dissemination of of that to attorneys of either one of those individuals would compromise their further interviews and said that you know she Supported, um, you know, she looking back at it, she would do the exact same thing again. Um, based on that interaction with the chairman and and uh, Megan Galligan, Alan Sorensen, uh, the majority leader, uh, said he was not going to support the amendment and called the dialogue, quote, embarrassing. Uh, so since there would have been no majority vote to happen, um, the vote was never called for that amendment. We were talking to Joseph Abraham, the managing editor for the Sullivan County Democrat. Joseph, thank you so much for joining us on the local edition, and uh, we'll talk to you again next week, hopefully. All right. Sounds good. And that does it for the local edition. Thank you so much to Jason Dole and to Dan Hoos earlier, talking about the budget and other things that's happening, like the Monticello Warming Station, which is open up tonight. We'll be back tomorrow. I'll be talking to... Kristen Kitson, the manager of youth services for the Sullivan County Youth Bureau and a local author. This is all happening tomorrow at 6.30. If you ever miss a show, we have a podcast. You can find us anywhere you find your favorite podcast. Google, Apple, Stitcher. Search for WJFF, the local edition. Subscribe, share it, and tell your friends. Find us on social media. You can look for us at WJFF Radio Catskill. We are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and on TikTok. You've been listening to the local edition. I've been your co-host, Patricia Rubio. Good night and take care. Support for Radio Catskill comes from Majestic Farm, specializing in organic apples and pasture-raised heritage meats. Open all year for contact-free meat pickup, MajesticFarm.com. From Rourke Law, Liberty, New York. A general law practice serving the Catskills and Delaware River Valley with an emphasis on estate planning, estate administration, elder law, and real property matters. RourkeLaw.com